good to be with you this morning. My name is Mark, and I'm the senior pastor here at Grace. We're going to continue our series this morning, uh, Really Real Marriage. We've been there for, I think this is our fourth week. I originally had planned to speak on marriage right up until Palm Sunday, which I believe is next Sunday. Did I get that right? Right? I haven't even scratched the surface of the sermons that I have written out on marriage, so it is most likely at this point that I'll pick this up right after Easter. Um, because I'm kind of getting into some turbulent water. Today I'm going to finish up some of the thoughts from uh, last week as we prepare our hearts for communion and talk about a little bit about the bond of, of brokenness. And we're getting into some heavy stuff. And so I, I want to kind of come back and, and come full circle and give the joy part of the marriage series and not leave you all bleeding and open and all kinds of stuff happening there. But I, I'm hope, my hope is that in some way, God has used our time together Sunday after Sunday to really minister to your heart uh, beyond the fact that you're beyond your marital status. Because I believe that we've talked about things that really apply to anyone and everyone, man and woman, married or single. Um, we, last week, I, I just started touching on and really kind of unpacking this bond that every, every relationship, but particularly the marriage covenant experiences, a husband and a wife, they experience a bond on two levels. One is we saw from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, and they will become one flesh. And we talked about how there's a bond that happens between a husband and a wife where they are becoming and will become one. There's a, I use the phrase, it is a covenant where you are known and being known. In other words, you are knowing the other person and being known by them. It's a sharing that happens on a very profound, very personal level. But that's not the only kind of bond that takes place between a husband and a wife. There's another kind of bond, and this bond really shows up in any and all of our relationships, and I'm calling it the bond of brokenness. And, and simply, it stems from just being human. So I'm going to repeat a pivotal truth, not just in the sense of marriage. or This is a central truth to the Christian faith and to being human. You ready? Four of you are ready. Are you ready? See, I want you to get this. We are all broken people. All right. That's good. All right. So you guys are with me. This is like, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was like, hey, man, like two people. We're all broken. And we bring this brokenness into every relationship, into everything that we do. This is what the Bible calls sin. And so we went back to Genesis chapter 3. And we looked at where this brokenness came from, the, the fall of humankind with Adam and Eve. You remember? They disobeyed God, ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to. And so God comes. He's looking for Adam in particular. And in, in verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, where are you, Adam? Where are you? And I talked a little bit about the significance of that question. When God walks into the garden after the disobedience, after now there's been a break in the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. And so where before they enjoyed communion and relationship and fellowship, now Adam is hiding because he has disobeyed and there's a fracture in his relationship with God. So God walks into the garden and says, where are you? Meaning, come on, where are you at? You, where, where are you in terms of where are you with me in our relationship? I'm sure every other time God would walk through the garden, Adam was close by because he had good relationship with God. But the disobedience, the sin that entered in through the, into the world through that act of disobedience and defiance had tainted and broken his relationship with God. And that has been passed down from that point on to everyone. 
All of us, as the psalmist says, all of us are conceived in sin. In other words, we all have now that brokenness. I mentioned you don't have to, we had our little ones here, right? I told you this uh, last week. You don't have to teach our little ones, even crawlers and toddlers, you don't have to teach them how to disobey, do you? That comes quite naturally. In fact, I think they're very gifted in that regard. Right? You don't have to teach a, 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 a little child how to be rebellious. Right? There was a, I think it was the University of Michigan did a study years and years and years ago. They, gave, um, they got all these kids together, all the same age and everything. They put them in a room time and time again. And they, all, they gave the three kids, they gave them three toys. Exact same toy. Three kids in a room with the exact same toy. Guess what happened within half an hour? They're all scratching, biting, pulling, because every one of them wanted what? All the other toys. And that comes quite naturally. And that's from Genesis chapter 3. We all have this bent towards self. We all have this break in our relationship with God. And the truth of the matter is, it leaves us, much like you saw in the video, it leaves us empty and searching. Proverbs 27.20 says it like this, Death and destruction are never satisfied. And neither are human eyes. We walk around with this empty hole. As Pascal would say, um, the God-shaped vacuum in our hearts and lives. That no created thing can fill other than God himself as he's been revealed in Jesus Christ. We all walk around with this hole and we take it everywhere we go. Into our friendships, into our marriages. And it leaves us, without this relationship being restored, it leaves us in a terrible place. Because what happens is then we we start looking to fill the hole. And we start looking to fill the hole with whatever we can. And if it just so happens that the closest thing to you is a spouse, you're going to try to fill the hole with your spouse. If the, if the closest thing to your children, you try to fill the hole with your children. If the closest to, thing in your heart you know, that you're trying to grasp for is a, is a promotion or whatever it is, we try to fill this hole that only God can fill. And what happens, especially in a marriage, it turns husband and wife on each other. What ends up happening when we do that? When we try to make another human person fill the hole and the emptiness in our hearts and our souls that only God can fill... We turn on each other as husband and wife because that's an absolutely unrealistic expectation. Your spouse cannot meet the deepest need of your soul. That is an unrealistic expectation. (laughs) Had to let that marinate for a little while. That's a it's it's an unrealistic expectation to think that your spouse is going to fulfill the deepest need, the deepest part of your heart and your soul. They're a broken human being. Even as a Christian, they're broken, saved by grace. But when we don't understand that, when we don't tend to our relationship with God, we go nuts. And we turn on each other. And we place unrealistic expectations on each other. I mean, listen to the psalmist from Psalm 103. Describing, the psalmist is praising God for who he is and what he does in his heart and life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. 
who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Your spouse cannot do that for you. Look at that list. Forgive all your wrongs, all your sins. Heal you. Redeem your life, meaning give your life renewed purpose. Crown you with steadfast love and mercy, which never fails. And satisfies you, satisfies you with everything good. That's, that's God's job. Only God can do that in a human heart. So, so let's stop laying that expectation on each other. In marriage, as husband and wife, even as friends. That's just an unrealistic expectation. Only God can fulfill the deep place of our... So today, what I want to do briefly, before we get ready for communion, is again, I want to follow the thread through the patriarchal family. You remember, there's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And so I'm going to follow this thread of brokenness. And we saw last week with Abram... And Sarai and the whole thing. God promises them a child when they're in the years beyond child rearing. And, and so they're, you know, and 15, Genesis 15, God gives Abraham this wonderful promise. He tells him, go outside, look at the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to be. Abraham's like, I, I can't have kids. I'm old. My wife is old and we can't have kids anymore. God says, did, God, in fact, doesn't even acknowledge any of that. Just says, I'm going to give you a son. And you're going, to have, you're going to have literally heirs upon heirs. And in fact, going back to Genesis 12, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through God's promise in Abram's life. That's chapter 15. Flip the page, chapter 16. No child has come yet. So Sarai has this brilliant idea. Chapter 16, the next chapter. Didn't wait a whole long time here. Sarah turns around and says, well, I'm not pregnant. So I got this wonderful idea. Sleep with my servant. That's actually what God probably meant anyway. So go ahead. Sleep with my servant. Insanity. Insanity. But this insanity doesn't stop with Abraham and Sarah. This brokenness that we're, that we're talking about doesn't stop with them. It goes right on. So today I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of the word. And we're going to look at yet another patriarchal family. It's going to be from Genesis chapter 29. Let's stand together. I'll read from verse 10 to verse 30. Genesis 29, this is, of course, the story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. (laughs) Yeah, you want to make sure you really remember this chapter. This is an interesting one. Genesis chapter 29, I'll start reading in verse 10. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. All right. If you, you can follow along in the Pew Bible, we also have it on the screen, so follow along that way. Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 10. Hear now the word of God. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the mouth's well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman. And he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him 
and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. And Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel, your version might say soft. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it is, not done, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And served Laban for another seven years. God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we we are thankful for the way you faithfully meet us when we gather together in Jesus' name. The way you meet us in song, in prayer, in praise, and in your word. So I pray, Lord, as we read your word, and particularly this story, this narrative with Jacob and Leah and Rachel... I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts regarding, Lord, where we are with you and one another. Help us to see the truth of your word, and more importantly, help us to embrace and apply it in our life. Do this, Lord, for the glory of your name and for the good of your people. I ask this blessing over us in Jesus' name, and everybody said, High five someone, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So here's my disclaimer. Let's start with that one. This is a very unusual, complex story, and there is no way that I'm going to get into all the nuances that are here. So I just want to kind of move very carefully, tread very lightly, because there's some there's some stuff going on in this family. Um, I'm not even going to touch upon that. These are first cousins that are involved here. Right. So I'm just going to leave that alone. It's Old Testament. I'm just going to put it under that. Um, But there's a lot here for us to wrestle with. But in terms of what we're looking at, in particular regards to brokenness, human brokenness, 
This brokenness appears the same way it appeared with Abraham and Sarah, the same way it appeared with Adam and Eve. Now it appears with Jacob and his, and his wives, Leah and Rachel. And the brokenness shows up in two forms. It shows up, one, in Leah's desperation to win Jacob's heart. She, is up, she becomes absolutely desperate to win Jacob's love and his heart. The second way this brokenness shows up is Jacob is absolutely obsessed out of his mind with Rachel. And this speaks to the brokenness of each of them. They are trying to find and fill that spot within their heart that only God can fill. And they do some crazy stuff in the interim. So here we have it. Let's take a look at the story. So let's start with Leah's desperation. She is not bearing children. She knows that Jacob really loves Rachel more than, she, than he loves her. So she's, she's out. To, something has to be done. Verse 31. And when the, law, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. Now, this is hyperbole, right? So it, this is a literary device. When, so when you see love, the opposite of love is hate. That's all it says. It, didn't say, it doesn't mean that Jacob literally hated Leah. It's just in comparison, right? Love and hate is opposites. So when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God kind of sees Leah's brokenness and responds by giving her a child. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name, this is verse 32, Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Okay. I don't know how you feel about that, but okay, ladies, let me talk to ladies. This woman now has gone through the child, getting pregnant, child rearing cycle three times. And if we kind of follow the narrative as it is, these are not like, oh, I have one baby, wait three years, have another baby. This was seemingly in the narrative back to back three times, roughly three or four years. Now... I'm not a woman, so I don't have a point of reference for this, but I'm assuming that being pregnant consecutively for three years, three to four years, would be difficult. Uh, just, just checking. Just checking. I don't know that I have, I don't know that I've met women that say, I just want to have 27 kids. I, God bless you. When I first married my wife, Mary. She was like, I want to have four and adopt two. I'm an only child. My father's an only child. My entire family could fit right in the front row. <laughs> she comes from like a gazillion different... Her family side, they do a family reunion every other year. 500 people. It's not exaggeration. 500 people show up. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> but no, she wanted four and adopt two. And we had Christiny. Oh, joy. It was wonderful. We had Alafia. 
Oh, joy. We had Marco. And that request of, what I want, six, four, and adopt you, went, we're stopping here. And I was, amen. So when I hear this woman went through this cycle three, and I'm going to show you now four times, I'm like, whoa, that's something. I mean, she's, it, 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 doesn't it sound like she's really desperate? She will do anything to win Jacob's love, win his heart, because she thinks in doing that, she's going to be made whole. She's going to feel whole, truly, truly loved. But in that course, in that child-rearing time, the pain and the cycle and life itself, something happened to Leah. In all the tragedy and the crisis and the pain and the burden that she was bearing, both physically, emotionally, and even spiritually, over the course of several years, something happened to this woman. Because look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased to bear Somewhere in the difficulty and in the strife, in the physical demand, in the emotional, spiritual demand, Leah had an awakening. And she realized that what she was looking for from Jacob, really, it wasn't going to happen. What she, who she needed in her heart and life was God himself. And so somewhere, it's really interesting that there's no real unpacking of this process. No one, the, the scripture does not elaborate in any way how this, you know, what went on. But something happened so that when Judah was born, her heart was fixed on God. She said, I'll praise the Lord. Regardless, I'll just praise the Lord. Interestingly, interestingly, Judah, it is Judah who is the bearer of the the kingly lineage from which Moses, David, and Jesus himself will be born. The blessing of God on Leah as she turns her heart to the Lord. Leah speaks volumes to our culture today. The things that we do in desperation to be, to feel whole, to feel loved. The things that, the places we go, the things that we do in sheer desperation. If I only have this, if I could just get this, if I can only, if I could just, I'll just, I just got to keep at it, keep at it, do this, I'm going to do this. If this is going to make me happy, it's going to make me happy, it's going it's to make me happy, I'm going to be whole, I'm going to be full, I'm going to be complete. No, you're not. Because you have an unrealistic expectation on that thing or that person. Because you're looking to fill a hole, an emptiness, that only God himself can fill. And that by a relationship with him in Jesus Christ. Leah's desperation. The brokenness also shows up on the flip side here. It shows up uh, in Judah, uh, in um, Jacob's obsession with Rachel. And this gets this goes on for chapters. So I want to be brief so we can celebrate communion together this morning. Um, he's fixated on Rachel. 
Jacob is like, did you catch that line? He served for seven years, but it was only like a few days because he loved her so. Okay, let me talk to the guys for a second. Do you remember this at all? Do you? So when I met Mary um, and we were dating from the time we met, we were engaged three months later and married six months after that. So from the time I met my wife to the time we got married was nine months. We'll be celebrating 22 years of marriage in June. So I have a wonderful wife and family. But when I was dating Mary, she lived in, a, in Santa Barbara. I lived and worked in Pasadena two hours plus away. And I decided after we were engaged that I wanted to see her every night. And I drove two hours after work and, and stayed in Santa Barbara and drove two hours back. And I did that for six months. And the two hours felt like 10 minutes. I had no problem. Her mom would be like, you're crazy something, boy. You're driving two hours. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. I just drove. And that's Jacob. He was so infatuated. So he just, I, Rachel, Rachel. He would do anything for Rachel. I think Laban knew that. And so he does the old switcheroo. Gives Leah, said Rachel. And you would think, after serving seven years, you would think, man, seven years, that's a long time. Well, I'm going to cut my losses. Uh, you know, not that I love, I don't love Leah all that much, but, you know, Leah, seven years, okay. No, no, he wants Rachel. So he goes in for another seven. Now, I just, let me just summarize the story of where we're going. You can read ahead in the chapters. This, is, this girl, Rachel, she's like, she's problematic. I mean, there's all kinds of scheming that goes on between Jacob and Rachel and against Laban. And she steals some pagan gods and they run away from Laban, middle of the night kind of thing, take all their sheep with them. I mean, it's just problematic. He, um, he schemes, he steals. Uh, Rachel is envious of Leah. So in, in chapter 30, the opening verses, you hear Rachel coming to Jacob. Give me a child lest I die. That's what she says. Like as if he's in control of everything. Give me a child. I want a child. She's bearing children. I'm not. So, I mean, it's problematic all over the place. But Jacob, he wants Rachel. He doesn't care. He doesn't care how he has to bend himself. He doesn't care how he has to bend his heart or his character. If you, if you read the story, he goes against everything that he was taught as a young man. Coming from the covenant of Abraham, Abraham's household. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He goes against everything he was taught. Just crazy, just, just crazy. Because he wants Rachel. Because Rachel is going to do it for him. That's, that's what's going to fix him. I mean, he is obsessing over Rachel. He'll do anything for Rachel. Sound familiar? <laughs> Thanks, bro. That was brave. So, right, that's the question that, that Jacob and Rachel posed. The truth is, let's be honest, at one time or another, maybe right now, you have a Rachel. And your spouse is looking. Oh, it may not be another man or another woman. Rachel could be anything. 
could be money. could be stuff. could be your job. Oh, there are a lot of Rachels in life. If I only had this, I will work my tail off. I could just get this. Because this is really what's going to make me whole. He's obsessed. Like many of us who have Rachels. Welcome to humanity. This is who we are. What I love, I'm going to close with this. What I love about the Bible is that it pulls no punches. It does not candy coat things. Even when it comes to the quote-unquote heroes of Scripture, the patriarchal family, the first family of the Old Testament, when you peer, peel that back, that title back, what you see is dysfunction and brokenness and sin because that is part of being human. Amen. So if you're, in your, you're in, if you're married, if you're single, that's what it means to be human. And there's only one person that can heal that brokenness and make you whole. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets a table for us in the middle of the wilderness of this world. Father, we are so thankful that you do not leave us to ourselves, but that you provide a new and living way in Jesus. My prayer for every person in this room, single or married, that you would do for them what they cannot do for themselves. That is, you fill their heart and their life with an abundance of grace and mercy, hope and love. That, Lord, you would straighten out our crooked places, mend the brokenness, and make us whole. In Jesus' name.